Good morning, everybody. Yeah, it's so great to be with you this morning, and it's um, so great to see how uh, God moves and prepares the way, um, even for his word to come forth. Uh, We're going to spend some of our time this morning talking about generosity. Uh, So how great is it that we've been introduced already um, to that uh, with with Robin's call this morning and her prayer this morning. So um, I'm just excited to see how God's moving in these times. So it's it's always great. Uh, If you will, I'm going to open up your your Bible. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, be it on an app or um, physical one, there should be a blue and white Bible around you. Uh, You can flip over to Exodus, which is right after Genesis. We're starting in, verse, uh, in chapter 35, uh, starting in verse, verse 1 here. The Word of God says, Moses assembled all the congregation of the people of Israel and said to them, These are the things that the Lord has commanded you to do. Six days' work shall be done, but on the seventh day... You shall have a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. You shall kindle no fire in your dwelling places on the Sabbath day. Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, This is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution, gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twin and linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins and goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones and the stones for setting, for the ephod and for the breastpiece. Let every skillful craftsman among you come and make all that the Lord has commanded, the tabernacle, its tent and its covering, its hooks and its frames, its bars, its pillars, its bases, the ark with its poles, the mercy seat and the veil of the screen, the table with its poles and all of its utensils, and the bread of the presence, the lampstand also for the light with its utensils and its lamps, and the oil for the light, and the altar of the incense with its poles and the anointing oil and the fragrant incense and the screen for the door at the door of the tabernacle, the altar of the burnt offering, with its grating of bronze, its poles and all its utensils, the basin and its stand, the hanging of the courts, its pillars and its bases, and the screen for the gate of the court, the pegs of the tabernacle and the pegs of the court and their cords, the finely worked garments for ministering in the holy place, the holy garments for Aaron the priest, and the garments of his sons for their service as priests. Then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses, and, every, and they came, everyone whose heart stirred him, and everyone whose spirit moved him, and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting, and for all its service, and for the holy garments. This is the reading of the word of the Lord. All right, so uh, we're going to talk this morning about how we're invited into transformational life by observing Sabbath and by practicing cheerful generosity. So for those of you who haven't been with us um, uh, throughout the book of Exodus or those of you who have been away for a bit, you know, we've been going through Exodus and and seeing how God has 
uh, rescued his people, his children, the children of Israel, from uh, years and generations of slavery under a um, benevolent ruler, that's Pharaoh. And we saw how God not only rescued them from slavery, but rescued them to life with him, a covenant relationship with him. Covenant was established in the commandments of the laws given to Moses on Mount Sinai, and, and that was to instruct them how to live as people marked by God. They were also given instructions for a dwelling place, and, and where we find ourselves here, and we'll get into this in a little bit, is just the instructions in the beginning to build uh, the temple, this, this place of meeting between God and his people so that he can dwell amongst them. We see how uh, just a couple of weeks ago, the children of Israel, as Moses was away, uh, they constructed his golden calf and began to worship and, and give praise to this thing that was um, you know, seen as their, their false god, their earthly god. And out of that sin, um, God uh, was going to just wreck and, and destroy these people. But Moses, who was uh, uh, the leader of the people and friend of God, made intercession for the people, so praying on their behalf, asking God to stay his wrath, uh, which we see God do and honor and then, uh, just the other week, we talked about how God gave them uh, the charge to leave uh, the mountain and go into this promised land to go um, uh, see the, the reckoning of all the things that they have uh, waited for. But Moses said, hey, if, if you're not going to go with us, if your presence isn't going to be there with us, we don't want to go. So we see here Moses, again, on behalf of the people, communicating the promised land, communicating all those things that are so great, you know, longing and waiting for, those things pale in comparison to the goodness and greatness of God. And, and, and lastly, we, we come right before our, our chapter here, and we see that Moses had made new tablets because the uh, old ones were, were broken in, in anger at uh, the children of Israel's rebellion. Um, so they have a new covenant uh, new tablets, and a new charge to now build and construct the temple for God. So as we end and, and get near to the end of Exodus here, over the next five chapters, we'll be talking about the construction of the temple, which was meant to be a meeting place for God. So before, again, we, we get into uh, uh, chapter 35 and, and start to break this up as we talk about Sabbath and we talk about uh, generosity, there's a couple of frameworks uh, that we have to operate in as we talk about God and, and the truth about God. And if this is your first time at SOMA, we're so excited that you're here and we welcome you here. If you're um, uh, uh, not a follower of Christ or if you're skeptical of Christianity, again, welcome. We're so glad. Uh, you're here to spend time with us. Now, we at uh, Soma believe these things about God. First, that God is intentional, which is best summed up as God's not having or needing a plan B, right? So God, um, in his divine uh, creation, it says in Revelations 1 that uh, uh, God is the Alpha and the Omega, which is to say God is the beginning and the end, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty, Right? So God doesn't have like this um, backup plan that he needs to go to when we as uh, a people fall away or, or we sin or um, you know, we're not following his, his truth. Right? So God is also um, relational. 
right? God is about being with his people. We see this all throughout the Bible, most prominently in the promise that God will send his son to reconcile his people to himself. So when sin entered the world in Genesis 3, there was a split between God and man. But God, um, in his grace and again in his divine plan, um, sent us Christ and promised us Christ in Isaiah, uh, where uh, Isaiah writes that, um, uh, I will send to you um, a, a savior, right? And his name will be Emmanuel. And Emmanuel means God is with us. And we see the fulfillment of this, pro- this promise in the New Testament in the life and death and resurrection of Christ. And lastly, God is invested in our flourishing as his people. Jesus said, I, I come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. God offers us this life in ways that are counter to cultural narratives, temptations, and expectations. Why does he do this? God does this because he loves us. Um, God loves us so much that he would send his son into the world to die for our sins, so that we might be reconciled again to God and rescue us to an abundant life, same way we see him rescuing the children of Israel from something and then calling us to something, a life of flourishing, a life that is different than what we see presented on TV or or social media or any of those outlets. This is why I say that we're invited to embrace this transformational life in God. We um, are going to spend our time looking at two aspects of uh, our life marked this way in our passage this morning. And uh, we're going to begin in verses uh, 1 through 3 of uh, Exodus 35. So I'll read that again. It says, Moses assembled all the congregation of the people of Israel and said to them, These are the things that the Lord has commanded you to do. Six days work shall be done, and on the seventh day you shall have a Sabbath of solemn rest holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. You shall kindle no fire in all your dwelling places on the Sabbath day. As I said before, the, remi- the remainder of Exodus is focused on the construction of the tabernacle, which is uh, where God intends to dwell and to meet with his people. And growing up, I always saw the tabernacle as a place made with wood and stone, um, but it wasn't. You know, we learned a couple of weeks ago that it's more of like a deluxe tent. So they're spending all this time setting up a tent for God to uh, come and to dwell and, and be with them. And and fascinatingly enough, before this work begins, there's a strong command to remember and observe the Sabbath, right? Sabbath was a time where the people of Israel would cease from their work and rest from their labor, and failure to do this was punishable by death, right? Now, you might be thinking to yourself, that seems pretty heavy-handed, right? Um, to, to, To kill somebody, to punish somebody in this way for not resting, I would think it highly concerning if I started a job and on the first day of the job, my boss said, hey, for six days, we're going to work really hard. We're going to grind this out. But on the seventh day, we're all going to rest. And if we don't rest or you don't rest, we're going to kill you. That'd be a problem, right? A couple red flags would go up. Now, the, the children of Israel were given these instructions to build the temple for the living God who was the one who destroyed Egypt for the world to see, right? So they're getting these instructions from uh, Moses, from an almighty God who has destroyed and decimated the, uh, the Egyptian people and miraculously saved them from slavery and bondage, the same living God who was a cloud by day and fire by night to guide them, the same living God who rained manna from heaven. That's the God that's who's instructing them 
to build something, right? So you would think there'd be a sense of urgency to this, right? So why? Why start with Sabbath? Oddly enough, this isn't the first time that God makes this commandment. We see this in Exodus 28 through 11, where God says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day... It's a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in the six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. We see this again in Exodus 31, 12 through 17 with the punishment added for the first time where the Lord says to Moses, you are uh, to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all, keep my Sabbath, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it that soul shall be cut off from among the people. Six days' work shall be done, but on the seventh day is the Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he, he rested and was refreshed. And what we see is God's intention in each of these is that um, as uh, God created, as the Lord created, he rested, right? So we should rest as the Lord create, as the Lord rests. And above all, we should keep the Sabbath as a sign between God and between us, right? That, that we might know that the Lord sanctifies us, that the Lord has made us holy, that the Lord has set us apart for special purposes and for special use. And also to have a Sabbath of solemn rest that is holy to the Lord, right? It's that same word, holy, as the word sanctified, to use for a special purpose. The idea of Sabbath is something that God has set apart for that special purpose, and it was a marker of his people. We as Christians need to be reconditioned to approach Sabbath with this in mind, to approach a time of resting in the Lord um, as something that's special, as something as a mark of his people and not treated as an optional exercise. This has ties all the way back into Genesis 2 uh, where God first establishes the Sabbath as holy and he says, thus the heavens and earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work and that, and that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. The Sabbath was used as a special reminder of Israel's relationship with God. But then it was also um, used, and Moses reminds them in, in Deuteronomy, um, that it's a reminder of their rescue from slavery. We see this in, in Deuteronomy 5, 12, 15. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy. As the Lord your God commanded you, six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do work 
you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates that your male servant and your female servant may rest well with you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commandeth you to keep the Sabbath day. Every Sabbath that is taken should be a time to reflect on the goodness and greatness of God. The people of Israel needed to regularly reflect on and be reminded that we're not slaves in Egypt anymore. They had a greater identity that God had bestowed on them. They, as his people, needed strong conviction of the Sabbath to deal with the trauma of being captive for generations. People were enslaved for hundreds of years, and that captivity, that mindset got passed down for hundreds of years. So God seeking very intentionally to break that with very strong conviction about rest, about restoration, and putting down work. The children of Israel are invited to embrace transformational life in God by observing the Sabbath. And I think about my life as I come to this uh, passage, and for me, the temptation um, is real in resisting ceasing to work, right? Um, what I've experienced is uh, temptation to do a little bit more, to, to push a little bit higher, to give more of myself to my work until ultimately there's nothing left and I'm collapsed on the floor. And what I want you to hear very clearly is that I'm not anti-hard work. Uh, I'm not anti-pushing and, and trying to achieve. Um, you know, growing up, one of the things that my parents were really great at was instilling in us and modeling a, a very strong work ethic. And I, I believe that, um, similar to me, there are people that uh, are in this room that come to this passage and can feel the weight of shame and guilt, anger, pride, or, or even powerlessness as we, um, as we look at and realize that we don't experience Sabbath this way. We don't have a theology for Sabbath uh, that way. And I, I want to tell you again very clearly that that's not the message here. Let me say that the commandment to the children of Israel and to us to practice Sabbath is not intended to provide shame and guilt or condemnation on anyone. The Pharisees, um, who are the religious rulers, uh, attempted to challenge Jesus on this, this idea of, hey, man, we're not doing anything on the Sabbath because we're so religious. Um, and it, it didn't go well for them. So if you uh, have some time, read Matthew 12, 1 through 8, where Jesus essentially says, I'm Lord over the Sabbath, right? Uh, I control all of this. The point here that we're trying to make um, is that Sabbath is about us slowing down to create space for regular rhythms of resting in God and in his grace. Say so again, the point here is that Sabbath is about us slowing down to create space for regular rhythms of resting in God and his grace. And we need, we absolutely need to embrace and practice this. We need to know that it will look and feel differently in different seasons of life, um, but that shouldn't prevent us um, from practicing Sabbath. We should be motivated to engage in regular Sabbath, to be reminded that we are made in the image of God. The children of Israel were coming out of slavery and bondage where their humanity was stripped away. Now, we may not be in physical slavery, but consider those things that you are bound to and feel powerless against. Those are things that distort and communicate an image that's not one given to you by God, right? We need to spend time 
reconditioning our minds and uh, being reminded that we are made in the image of God. We need to be reminded that God has provided a divine example of power and laying down work, right? So God creates uh, the world and works for six days, and then him and his divine power lays that down, right? So we as image bearers um, uh, should know that we can put our work down and things aren't just going to fall apart, right? The earth continued to spin, the, the water was uh, still filled. Um, things didn't fall apart when God rested. We should also be reminded that we can and we should freely embrace our limits as created beings, Uh, We all have limits, right? We all need to sleep. We all need to rest. We need to sit. We need to reflect. We're not made to go 24-7 and just kind of churn, churn, churn out work. Our natural bodies would just break down and collapse. And lastly, we need to be reminded that God is a savior and provider, right? What was special about the Sabbath for the children of Israel is that they had time to think about the goodness of God regularly. Because of this uh, stark and heavy commandment, um, they constantly were reminded of how good and great God was. And when was the last time that you thought about how God has been a savior to you? When was the last time that you thought about how God has provided for you? Sabbath affords us the space to do that. And I encourage you to Sabbath and encourage you to find a regular rhythm that will allow space to meditate on these reminders, knowing that it will look different in different seasons of your life, but also remembering that it's vitally important that we would do this. Also know that there is no condemnation for you who are in Christ as, as we struggle to figure this out, right? There is something far more important that God seeks to communicate to you about Sabbath that's more than routine box checking. We're checking something off a list. We're invited to experience God through the observance of Sabbath. And likewise, we're invited to experience transformational life through the practice of cheerful generosity. If we look down in uh, chapter 35, starting at verse 4, uh, it says, Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, this is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord, Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution. Gold, silver, bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twin linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins and goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the oil, for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense and onyx stones and stones for setting, for the ephod and for the breast piece. If you jump back down to Uh, verses 20 through 22, it says, Then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses, and they came. Everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meaning. It's really great uh, here uh, is that these people were giving because they were stirred, they were compelled. Right? They, they weren't begrudgingly coming and offering up these things to the Lord. Right? They weren't coarse. They weren't Jesus-juked. Um, they, they saw needs, and they were invited um, into that. So we, we see that in uh, you know, just really quick takeaways. One, the hearts people were stirred, and they gave. The people whose spirit moved them responded, and they gave. And there were a variety of goods and skills that were needed to furnish the temple so it took the collective community to meet the needs. Like I, like many of you, grew up in church. 
um, and like even more of us here, I've heard many sermons uh, on, on giving and, and on money, and I've seen it communicated really well. I've seen it communicated um, not so well. You know, growing up um, at the time of offering, uh, I remember this vividly, what would happen is uh, we'd flip over to Malachi 3. It was almost instinctual. As soon as they prayed, we'd flip over to Malachi 3, verses 8 and 9, and we would hear how we were all robbing God because uh, we weren't giving 10%. And they used that passage um, to tie to uh, 10% of our gross pay would have to be given um, as a tithe back to the Lord. Right? Um, so as, as a 10-year-old, that was 10, I'm hearing this, and anytime I would get money or think about getting money, I would think immediately, okay, I have to give 10% off of this, and then I can't just give 10%. I have to give an offering because God has done so much for me, so now I have to give an offering and uh, start to deal with that. Uh, and how this would play out is that I get like 20 bucks uh, for my birthday, and right away, $2 gone. Um, and then you can't just give God $2, right? So then like $3 also gone. So now I'm looking at 25% of my money already going out the door before I even make it to the snack table. And I was just broken, right? <laughs> we get to these points where it's like, hey man, don't give me money. Just give me like really cool things. Um, <laughs> uh, we don't need it. What happens like we struggled with this tension of like uh, commands of generosity, but also feeling shame and guilt of not doing more. Because, you know, when God rescues you and saves you, five bucks isn't like enough to communicate, hey man, you're like, you've done so much for me, right? And I would feel this weight, and, and I would also see how this command would like be used to manipulate and harm people and coerce people unjustly into giving great, you know, irony of all this is that when you continue to read in Malachi 3, right, and starting in verse 10, we see the motivation for God for encouraging his people to give. There's this whole portion about, like, give so there would be food in my house so we can meet needs and see if I wouldn't open up the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing to where you wouldn't have room enough to receive it, right? So the motivation to give, even on the heels of, hey, you guys haven't been giving, is for something that's far greater, far greater that God is calling us to. So it's out of that spirit that we should respond to the call of generosity with our finances, time, and skills. And that's what we're seeing here in Exodus, right? We see here in Exodus how people gave from stirred hearts and their spirits being moved, and they were so compelled that Moses had to tell them to stop. In Exodus 36, 6 through 7, uh, it says, So Moses gave the command, and the word was proclaimed throughout the camp, let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution of the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing, for the material that they had was sufficient to do all the work and more. Right, that and more. How beautiful is that? That out of the stirring of hearts, that there would be more than enough uh, to meet the need. We see that in Acts when uh, the people gave until there was not a needy one among them. We see that in 2 Corinthians 2 or 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians 8. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in severe tests of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed into a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly, for the favor and taking parts in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord 
and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this grace also. It's crazy, crazy giving, right? People out of uh, extreme poverty looking to give beyond their means, not because they're coerced, but because they're compelled, they're stirred. Uh, How beautiful is that, right? We see this also in 2 Corinthians 9, where Paul goes on to say, each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness, right? So uh, when Robin is talking about, hey, there, there's already commands to, to give, right? We are already putting our yes on the table. It's because we can feel that, that coercion. We can feel uh, that compelling. We can feel that from the Spirit, and that's what moves us into giving, right? And we say, why? Why be generous in this way? 2 Corinthians uh, 8, 8 through 9, going back, it says, I say this not as a command, but to prove by earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. There's a tie from our expression of generosity to the authenticity of our love. Now, hear me clearly. This isn't, um, uh, this isn't a practice of us starting to give, gift, give gifts to prove that we love people. And there's a subtle distinction here um, that when it comes uh, to gift-giving, it's really easy for us to give gifts or, or be generous with expectation, right? So how this will look is I, I think about this, is if I went to my wife and, you know, gave her yarn. She loves the knit. Um, she does it very, very well. Um, and I gave her, gave her yarn and said, hey, now you know that I love you, right? Um, that's not a great gift. <laughs> that's a terrible gift. Um, but what would it look like if, um, you know, I don't have to communicate that and, and me looking to bless her, me looking to inspire and encourage her, me thinking about the ways that that can happen and, and then feeling so compelled to do something, to give a gift, and then just let it be, right? Let that speak. Let that uh, move in her heart. And if I don't uh, say, hey, uh, I love you because of this, she already knows, right? What does it look like, us, look like for us to shift that view or, or rethink the way that we approach giving gifts? For the people of Israel, their motivation was about responding out of generosity and, goodness of, and the goodness of God. That's what compelled them to give as they decided in their heart, right? And whatever the contribution was, was given in great excess so that uh, there was no needs. And it was given in great excess with gladness, with great joy. It wasn't only gold and silver and bronze. It was fabrics and skins and wood and oil. Everyone had something. There was this collective uh, community of like, hey man, I, I got this over here and I got this over here. I want to bring that. I want to offer that. 
And then there were people who uh, had skills to take those things, and then they used those skills to then give back and to contribute um, and to bless uh, and and to be a part of this. And how beautiful of a picture is that, that we give uh, both of uh, uh, tangible resources, but then the intangible of being able to build and construct those things. For us now, our motivation is being compelled by how Christ divested himself for us. He was rich for our sake. Uh, He became poor so that we might be rich. Rich in salvation, rich in relationship, rich by experiencing an abundant life. Our countercultural, cheerful generosity should reflect and communicate that. Like the children of Israel, it's not just gold, silver, or bronze. It's all types of materials and skills that we need and can receive. As we come to kind of close, some things that uh, I would want you to consider and think about is how, how does this picture of Sabbath and generosity land with you? How do you struggle with, you know, both observing a Sabbath that makes sense for right where you are, where you can reflect on the goodness and greatness of God, um, to be reminded of his provision for you, to be reminded of him as a protector for you, to, to look to be generous, to be stirred, uh, to be generous, to be moved into generosity, not because of, of you know, tying down or closing the doors or locking anything uh, to where you feel bullied into this, but out of a, a natural response to all the good things that God has given you and done for you, what does it look like for us to be generous? Are there um, ways that right now, Uh, the church, the body can meet needs that you have? Are there uh, things that you see inside of our church or body as needs that you can meet, right? One of the very practical things uh, that we have at Soma is that we have this growing, booming, uh, flourishing, thriving kids community um, downstairs. Um, And and every week, you know, there's opportunities for people to serve very tangibly and very intangibly, just spending time uh, with our kids down there. Um, there. There might be people here who need help in other uh, ways where skills can come into play, be it, you know, budgeting or, or financing, trying to get, helping people get out of debt. Um, there, there are needs for relationships and friendships, you know, which, which may not have a dollar attached to it, but there's time invested um, that we can go into, and, and that can be a part of acts of generosity for And lastly, how do you struggle with this? Right? How do you struggle with, with hearing this? And how can we as a church and community come alongside you right, and, and talk more about Sabbath, talk more about margin, talk more about generosity, um, and help you, um, help you there? It's, it's a practical step. There's a connect card somewhere around you. And if you feel moved this morning and, and stirred this morning and you want to you know, con- contribute or uh, communicate, hey, I have these skills, I have uh, this margin, I can do this thing, well, jot that down a Connect card and, and drop it off at our Connect Center. We'd love to contact you about that, follow up with you about that, whatever those things are. We are invited this morning to respond by laying down our work and resting with God. We respond by seeking the needs, we're seeking to meet the needs of those around us, those who God sent to us, time, talent, and treasures, inviting people into relationship like Jesus did, pursuing people who are struggling like God did, offering comfort 
like the Holy Spirit does. We're invited to share in the work as children of God. We're invited to rest as children of God. Not out of guilt, not out of shame. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much uh, for your goodness, your greatness. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you went first, God, that, that you provided a model for our flourishing, Lord, that you are intentional with us, you are relational with us, Lord, you invest in us and you care about us. Lord, I pray that our hearts uh, would be moved to respond, God, that you would stir our spirits to be moved to respond, Lord, cheerfully and joyfully of whatever we have, Lord, whatever that looks like. And we pray no condemnation over these people. We pray no judgment over these people. Lord, we love you and we thank you.